So how many of you remember a game show back in the day called Let's Make a Deal? Anybody? I've heard that there is a, a revival of it. We've been in a series called Better, and uh, we're in the middle of a trade-up challenge. I'm going to hold off on the results to that just to make you wait a little bit, but uh, Derek and Sarah are working hard, and I'll, I'll announce the, where that's going next week. But it just made me think of this game show where there was always the question, what's behind curtain number three? What's behind door number three? Do I have a clicker? Can somebody bring me a, a doohickey to make that doohickey? <laughs> um, so Monty Hall was the, the, the leader of this show, and, and his thing was, I'll give you this, but maybe there's something better. You can settle for this, but maybe if you just hang with it for a minute, there's, there's something even better. Give Ashley a hand. That's amazing. By the way, uh, we will do communion at the end of the service today. So if you did not get the communion cup on your way in, would you raise your hand and let our deacons serve you? They'll, they'll bring it to you. We'll just wait till the end, but maybe some of you got in and, and didn't get one of those. If you're at home watching, be sure you gather your, your stuff because we'll do that uh, at the end of, of uh, what I want to do with the Scripture this morning. So Hebrews is all about better. If you really want to understand it, on the first page of Hebrews in your Bible, right underneath the word Hebrews, Jesus is better than anything. Because that's what the whole theme of Hebrews is about. The, the whole book is about that. So, so if, if you're sort of getting weary of the theme of better, well, okay, you get weary when we finish Hebrews because that's the theme of the whole book. And we've talked about that he's better than the angels, that he's better than Moses, that he's better than the law, that he's better than the prophets. And today the, the writer of Hebrews takes an interesting twist, and it involves a curtain. But back to let's make a deal. In let's make a deal, it was always the question, will you settle for this or do you want to take a chance that there's something better? Take a look at this clip. Everybody, this is Jenny. Jenny, say hello to America. Oh, so uh, Jenny, so tell me, what do you do? Where, where are you from? I'm originally from Minnesota. Okay. I'm a dancer, choreographer, dance teacher. Oh, right on. I owned a dance studio for 20 years in Minnesota. Okay. Yes. So what styles? Um, jazz, tap, hip hop, musical theater. Well, welcome to the show. Glad Thank to you. meet I'm so you. Thank you. Well, if you're happy now, wait till you see what's behind curtain three. Tiffany, make her even happier. It's a new Kia Soul. How's that, Jen? Oh, flash dance. She's a little flash dance here. I love that. By the way, she won the car. Uh, and, and what I really hope is that when you guys hear about the deal that God has for you, that you'll be about that excited. And you don't have to say Minnesota, 
but if you want to, that's okay too. Better, right? Trading up. Last week, I promised I would tell you a little bit more about this guy, Melchizedek, and, uh, and he is sort of disappointing because he's not really a big deal. The, the writer of Hebrews wants to talk about him because he represents something that's a really big deal, but all in all, he's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. The, the writer here mentions him five more times, but, but uh, his, his part is really a small part, but what he represents is really a big part. And so just a, a little bit of background, the way that it worked in the old way, before we traded up for better, the way that it worked was that if you sinned, wait a minute, check that, when you sinned, there needed to be a guy let's just for the sake of argument call him a priest, who went into a place to offer sacrifices to God so that maybe your sins would be forgiven. Now, that's sort of the, 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 the arrangement back in the day. And so there, there was a, a place called the temple. Before that, it was called the tabernacle. Before that, it was kind of anywhere. After that, it was the synagogue. And so there's always been this place in the Jewish tradition that a priest would go somewhere and offer a sacrifice, a bull, a goat, a lamb, a dove, something needed to give its life so that you could be forgiven of sins. That was the the platform. But before any of that really got instituted, there was a guy named Abram whose name would later be changed to Abraham, and he wandered in the place where the Lord showed him he was supposed to go. He won a battle against some kings, and he came back to a place called Salem. We call it Jerusalem. And the king of Jerusalem came out to meet him, to sort of congratulate him on his victory, and make sure that his attention was not focused on his military might, but that his focus was on God. That was sort of the transaction, Genesis chapter 14. The guy's name was Melchizedek. I've learned to spell it. After this week, we're moving on. And Melchizedek came out, uh, detail for later, bringing with him bread and wine. And he said, good job, but let's make sure the glory goes to God. He called him the the provider and the redeemer. I don't know how Melchizedek figured out that God was God, because the God he refers to is the God that's throughout the Old Testament. He's not some pagan God that they had had built out of stone. He's not some some image. He he is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is the, the God that the rest of the Old Testament speaks of. And somehow, God had given him this inspiration, and he is called the priest and the king. Now, that's enough details about this guy. Back to the theme of Hebrews. The whole idea behind Hebrews is that we have an anchor who is like this guy, but better. Who did some things like this guy, but better who represented some things that God was doing, but better. 
And so the scripture back in uh, chapter 6, we looked at it last week, it says that he is our steadfast anchor. So, so, so Melchizedek was this presence. He, he came out. He celebrated victory. He, he, yay, God did good things. And, and, but let's make sure we know that it's God who did good things. And he says, but Jesus has gone on. He's a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever on the order of Melchizedek. So, so that's the story, right? He, he represents something that is different from all the other priests. Well, all the other priests would come later, but here's how it worked with them. They all came from the same family line, Levi or, or Aaron, the, the priesthood. They all were appointed by God, but really more because they were in the family tree, They all did the same thing. One time a year, they would go into this really holy place. They would offer a sacrifice. A fun detail about that is that they were never sure that God was going to accept their sacrifice, right? Maybe one year the sins would be just too great. Maybe one year, oh, that guy did that? (laughs) No way. And so they would tie a rope around his leg, and they would put bells on the ends of his robe. And if those bells stopped ringing... They figure it didn't work out for that guy. <laughs> they pull him out. I don't know that it ever happened. I don't even know if that's true. But, but the idea was they weren't sure whether God would accept the sacrifice or not. They, they weren't sure whether it was good enough. And it reminded us of us. There's a lot of us that aren't sure whether what we believe is good enough where we, is it, have we sinned too much? Have we done that one thing that pushed us over the edge? What's that unpardonable sin thing? Have, have I done the thing that God finally says, that's enough, strike him dead, pull him out with a rope? Well, no. That's what the, the whole chapter is about. As a matter of fact, three chapters. You need to get a Snickers bar and get comfortable because we're going to do chapter 7, 8, and 9. Uh, but what he's, what he's saying there is it is enough, and let me tell you why. We have this sure and steadfast anchor. An anchor is supposed to grab onto the sea bottom and just not let the ship move. And so it is a better thing throughout Hebrews. Christ is better than the angels, Hebrews 1. We enjoy the bringing in of a better hope, Hebrews chapter 7. He is the surety of a better covenant, chapter 7. He is the mediator of a better covenant. Remember that word mediator. That's kind of a cool word. The heavenly things benefit from better sacrifices. So the whole idea is that Jesus is a better priest. He, he doesn't have to wonder if what's happening is acceptable. God has already proclaimed, this is my son, and those of us who have sons, it's, it's hard for us to, 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 to do anything but love our sons. And the Scripture says that God loved us so much that He sent His only Son as the once and for all sacrifice. No longer does a priest have to go into the place and slaughter something. That because Jesus went to the cross, you and I can experience that forgiveness without wondering whether or not God is going to accept it. It's a pretty incredible thing. And the writer of Hebrews is sort of building a case for that. He's laying it out as to why that's an important truth. So to follow Jesus means that we have to trust, stop trusting in a bunch of other stuff. 
The, the word that you might use is, now I, I get that, that sounds awful, okay, I've got to stop having fun, I've got to uh, get rid of all my friends, sell my car, sell my house, go to Africa. Um, no. He, he's telling us that whatever it is that we believe in, that we think will get us right with God, if it's not Jesus, that's what we got to stop. That's the thing that we, we got to dump. And for the Jewish people, it was, you guys are trusting in the law. You're trusting in the guy with the sacrifice, rope on his leg. You're trusting with a bunch of rituals. You're trusting in the old ways. And I'm here to tell you the old ways are not existing anymore. They're, they're obsolete, the word used in Scripture. The new way, the new covenant. And that's what I want to talk about today. Three, three ideas that I want to kind of carry. One is this idea of consecration. Now, consecration is, uh, kind of has this word of separateness. If you look in the, the, the Scripture, that it talks about Jesus that said it was fitting that we should have a high priest. This is uh, uh, chapter, eight, chapter 7, verse 26 who's holy, innocent, unstained, and separated from sinners. The whole case they were making about the priest was he's just one of us. He, he's just like us. He's got to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as ours because he's dumb and, and does silly things, and, and he's just like us. So, again, back to comparing with this priest, Melchizedek, the Scripture says that to him Abraham provided a tenth part of everything. In other words, Abraham brought him an offering. File that away. And then it's describing him, and it says he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Then he is also the king of peace. It's interesting that we could make the observation that righteousness always precedes peace. That without righteousness, there cannot be peace. And, and the righteousness has been declared by this, this king. And then it goes on to say that the Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils. So Abraham had just won this battle. He brought him a tenth of everything they'd conquered. But, but that's, that's the idea of consecration. Abraham is saying, because of what God has done, I am bringing an offering. Now, that's important because a lot of us look at giving money to the church more like a down payment than an offering. Down payment means it's the same family as, God, if you'll only let me pass this test, I will, fill in the blank. If you'll only let me get out of this ticket, because there's a cop behind me, Robert. If you'll only let me, if, if I can only, and, and we, we see an offering as a down payment not so much as a response. Well, Abraham had already conquered the kings. He had already won the battle. And he was saying, okay, you represent the provider and redeemer of all creation. I am bringing you this offering. I am separating myself from it, consecration. I, I, am, I am taking it away from me and giving it to you. And Jesus was separate from sinners. He was consecrated. Abraham was separate from the, the pagan worshipers. He was consecrated. And what, what, what this, this difference is is that the priest wasn't consecrated. He was just like us. But Jesus was acceptable. 
He was a sacrifice that was, that was whole, that was, that was trustworthy because he was separate. He was consecrated. He was righteous. He was pure. And so this whole idea of consecration, Batterson said it's a complete surrender to the lordship of Jesus. We relinquish everything, time, talent, treasure. It's a complete divestiture, but the exchange rate is incredible. This is what it is. It's the separation from the things of man to focus on the things of God. Sometimes I, I sit in my study in the morning and I, and I just uh, try, to, try to get still and, and, and put the, my phone away and, and the things that distract away and, and all the other stuff away and just try to, to get still for a minute. Because I, I look all around me at the things that get in the way all the things that I might be tempted to put my trust in, a, a, a bank account or a, a wise friend who would give me advice or, or an ability or a time or a talent or a treasure. I can work this out. I can fix this. I can undo the mess that's been made. And sometimes I just need to get still and, and consecrated and away from the things of man so I can focus on the things of God. There's a lot of that in chapter 7. He, he does that throughout chapter 7, verse 11. He says, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would be there for another priest? In other words, if the law was perfect, if the old way was right, why do we need a new priest? Why do we need a, this consecration? And then he, he goes on to say, but Wait a minute, on that hand, verse 18, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. He's saying that way of thinking is all about a man trying to figure out how he can do something. He can find the best bull, the best goat, the best lamb, the best dove. He, he can find the, the best thing that he can bring to God, and his thing is probably better than other people's things. And then where's the focus? We do the same thing. God, I went to church this week, so I'm pretty sure I'll be able to seal the deal. Uh, I had my quiet time today, so I'm pretty sure my kids will behave. Might need several quiet times for that one. Uh, God, I, I did this for you. I, I brought you this offering. I, I did this for you. And, and all of a sudden, the focus is on what we can do to make God do what we think he ought to do. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's a flawed way of thinking. That's the, that's the old way. That's kind of the old way. It's a little bit of a contamination of the old way, but it's, it's kind of the old way. And then he says, wait a minute, verse 19, the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And in verse 22, he says, this is Jesus. He is the guarantor of a better covenant. And then he describes him in verse 26. He's separated. He's consecrated. He's exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer uh, sacrifices like these high priests, first for his own sins and then for the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Chapter 7, verse 27. The law appoints men in their weakness, but God appointed a son. So he introduces the idea that Jesus is not only consecrated, but he's also sort of the chief or the, the originator of a better covenant. Watchman Nee says, grace means that God does something for me. Law means I do something for God. 
Now, if law means God requires something of me for their fulfillment, then deliverance from the law no longer requires that for me, but he provided it. So the, the covenant, the, the better covenant that's, that's introduced here in, in chapter 8, and he, he kind of has a word for slow learners. He says, uh, now the point is this. <laughs> Don't you love that in the Bible? Look at, at, at chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point is this. Alan, I realize that you're a little thick, so I'm going to review a little bit and make you understand what I'm talking about. Here's the deal. The new covenant, the new way of thinking is that we have a priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Mic drop. Now, if you know anything about the furniture in the old temple, there was no place for the priests to sit down. There was a mercy seat where somebody who was panicked for their life could come in, but there was not a chair, there was not a throne, there was not a place for the priest ever to sit down. And the the implication was the work is never done, right? You sit down when the work is done. But here in this scripture, the writer of Hebrews said, wait a minute, we have a high priest who's seated at the right hand of God. You know what Jesus said on the cross? Last thing he said? It is finished. The work is done. There is nothing else that needs to happen for us to be forgiven of sins. There's nothing else that needs to be happened. You just got to get over yourselves. But nothing else needs to be done. Christ has been crucified. He's been buried. He's been resurrected. He's ascended to the Father. He's seated. Nothing else needs to be done. When Stephen, the first martyr in the New Testament, when he, when he died, he says, I see the Lord high. Lifted. He's seated at the right hand of God. The work is done. It is finished. And so he says, this is the covenant we're talking about. How can you settle for something so much less? Then he goes on to talk about it a little bit, and he, he sets up a comparison. If you've got a scripture or a swipey thing, watch He says in verse 2, there's a minister in the holy place in the true tabernacle that the Lord set up. And we'll get to that in verse chapter 9. He said in the old ways, verse uh, 3, it was necessary for the priest to have something to offer. Uh, Verse 6, but in the new way, the new covenant he mediates is better because it's on better promises. Uh, The old covenant was flawed, the old way. So the old way, he, he begins to quote Jeremiah in verse 8, he's quoting Jeremiah 31, which for you Bible geeks, that was written 600 years before Jesus even was born. So 600 years before the new covenant existed, this is what Jeremiah said, the, old, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, not the old covenant, not the old ways, this is better He says, the old covenant, I I took them out of the land of Egypt, but they didn't follow my commands. That's why it's flawed, is because it involves humans. We can't seem to follow the rules. Adam and Eve, you had one rule. Okay, so we struggle with that. And then he says in verse 10, this is the new covenant that I will make, 600 years before he did it. This is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws in their minds and on their hearts. Not on tablets, 
not for a priest to interpret. He says, there are, that, that, that I will put what I want to happen in your hearts, in your minds, in your conscience. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will not teach your neighbor because your neighbor will already know. I will remember their sins no more. Wow. And then verse 13, he says, speaking of the new covenant, it makes the old one obsolete. That is so radical for the Jewish hearers at the time to process. The new way of thinking, grace over law, a sacrifice on the cross versus a sacrifice on the altar, a flawed man offering the sacrifice uh, compared to a holy God offering the sacrifice of his own perfect son. And he says, I do this so that I can be with you in communion. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. At the Last Supper, we will celebrate on Monday Thursday or the Thursday of Holy Week. We'll, we'll have a, a communion meal that's, that celebrates the bread that Jesus broke and the wine that Jesus served, the cup. And we, we have this communion with him. That, I, I love that this scripture is on a day we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion in here because the heart of salvation is the cross of Christ. The reason salvation is so easy is to obtain is that it costs God so much. And we are reminded when we take communion of the costly sacrifice that it wasn't a flawed man walking in to slaughter a goat. It was the Son of God being led to the cross to give His own life, His own blood. Only in Jesus is grace accessible. Now, I want to spend just a minute talking about that word accessible. I understand that there's a ball game of some kind on today. And if you happen to be in Phoenix... And you happen to have a lanyard around your neck. And on the lanyard, it said, field pass. Or for me, better, press pass, because that's where the food is. I would love to tell you that I'd be here. But I would probably be that flawed priest because... I had access. I, I would have entry. Somebody would say, you can come in here. And the ninth chapter of Hebrews is all about access. Follow me. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship. So, so even in the old way, they, they worshiped, they had uh, offerings, they had a priest, they, whatever. There was a tent Okay, interesting that he talks about a tent and not the temple because the temple was alive and well. It was Herod's temple. It was magnificent in Jerusalem, but it was only accessible by the people in Jerusalem. So the writer uses a more common uh, illustration. He says, think about the tabernacle. Everybody could get to a tabernacle. By then, the synagogue, everybody can get to a synagogue. It's, it's in your town. Everybody can get to that. So he uses tent instead of temple. And then he describes all the stuff that's in there, the table, the bread, the presents. And then in verse 3, verse 2, he comes out of it. He says, that's called the holy place. And then behind a curtain, behind the second curtain, is more stuff. 
the Ark of the Covenant and the tablets and the manna and Aaron's staff. So, so he says there's a, a common place that everybody can come to, and then there's another place that only the priest can go to, and he can only go to one time a year. And so there's a curtain that keeps you out of the first place, a curtain that keeps you out of the second place. Here's what's behind curtain number one. Here's behind what's curtain number two. And he says behind curtain number two, only the priest can go, and here's what he did. And it's what I've already explained. And so, what's behind curtain number three? What's greater than that? He says, these preparations having been made, verse 6, chapter 9, the priests go in there performing their ritual duties, but in behind the second curtain, only the high priest goes. Accessibility denied. And he only goes in there once a year, But he takes blood with him. He offers for himself for the intentional and the unintentional sins of the people. He goes behind curtain number two. But you can't. You may or may not know this. But when we read at Easter the narratives of what happened when Jesus died on the cross, there's a particular statement that's made where it says, when he died on the cross, after he said, it is finished, the skies darkened and the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top where man could have done it, top to bottom where it could only be God. So where behind curtain number two only the priest could go. Only the priest could offer sacrifices. Only the priest could beg for forgiveness. When Jesus died on the cross, that was done. And now we're behind curtain number three. Now we're at a place where I don't need a priest to ask for forgiveness. I don't need to offer sacrifices continually. I don't need to let the blood of animals flow on the altar. The blood of my Savior flowed down the cross for me, for you. The temple has been torn. The curtain has been torn. There's there's no more. There's access that is guaranteed. And he keeps talking about that. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of his creation. We described that back at the beginning. There's a a heavenly place there. He's seated in the majesty, the temple that's beyond anything. Verse 12, he entered it once and for all, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And verse 15, therefore, he's the mediator of this new covenant. He's the mediator of that. What does a mediator do? An attorney, a counselor, a a representative. He represents you before somebody more powerful right? Somebody with authority, somebody with a decision-making ability. The, the mediator goes on your behalf before somebody else. Abraham went to someone who was greater than him and brought offerings, the priest, the king. Uh, Jesus goes before us, and, and he says, let me plead the case of these people, and let me plead it using the evidence of the cross. He says, a death occurred, that redeems them, us, from the transgressions committed. 
But even that, verse 18, can't be done without blood. Verse 22, without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sins. So we have access to what? Grace. Grace. We have access to grace. We, we, we can deny access to the law. We, we don't have to have the rules to judge us. We don't have to, to approach God and say, I'm, I'm not good enough. People tell me I'm not good enough all the time. I, I can't get a job. I can't get a spouse. I can't get a this. I can't get a this. I, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. I'm not good enough, God. He says, you are. I've torn the curtain. I've given you access There's no reason that you can't approach me. And when you approach me in humility, like the people who have been baptized this morning, when you approach me with that humility, there is nothing I can't forgive. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not be denied access, but would have eternal life. Would you bow with me in prayer for just a moment? In just a moment, we're going to observe what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. You were given a a tiny little thing and you tear the top part off and there's a, a little unleavened wafer that we think represents the body that was broken for us, savagely beaten, tortured, nailed to a cross. Underneath that, there's a little cup of juice that that we think represents this new way of thinking. Jesus called it the cup of the new covenant. But when Paul described it, he said, I don't want you to take this lightly. So as awkward as it is for you who are watching at home and for you who are in the room, just close your eyes and bow your heads. And let me guide your thoughts for a second. Think about the worst thing you've done. The worst thought. The worst thing you've done to someone else. Attitude. He died for that. Think about all the places that you have been told you can't go there. Access denied. He has given you access to the greatest place in the world, the the majesty of the throne room of heaven. Think about all the times you've just beat yourself up because you're not good enough. And God has declared that you are good enough. Would you take just a moment to thank him? Father, as we celebrate this communion, this celebration of the new way, the way that the new priest brought, the consecrated way, the better covenant, the better communion, Lord, we come to you not with anything to offer, 
We can't bring you a tenth of anything that would earn what you have given us. But you have allowed us to come to you for forgiveness. And for every person who's watching this, for every person who's in the room, I pray that you would allow our confession to you that we can't save ourselves. We have to have a priest who will mediate before you, Father. And you have given us the Jesus. If there's one here who has never begun to follow you, I pray that this would be the day. I pray that they will see a a pastor or somebody in the lobby, a friend sitting near them. Maybe attend the Explorer class, which is right after this. Sarah can scramble for more stuff to eat. We, We need to realize that what we're about to do is a symbol of something that God already did. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you will take the little cup, peel off the top, pull that little wafer out of there. This is his body, broken for us. Let us do this in remembrance. This is the body of Christ. The cup is perhaps even more poignant. It says, in the same way, he took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, look at this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we've done this morning. We've proclaimed his death. But then what you just did, he says in verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then eat the bread and drink the cup. He he told the guys at the the table, he said, "There's, there's a new way of thinking, and this cup represents that new way of thinking. Law has given way to grace. Law is obsolete. Grace has come. This is the cup of the new covenant. Father, thank you that we get to do this, that we get to have such a a reminder to, to taste something, to smell a little bit of the juice, to have our senses awaken to the the grace that you have given us on the cross. We thank you that there is a new way because under the old way we're dead. Under the old way we don't have hope, but you have given us a new way and you've called it grace. If there's one here who doesn't know you, let this be the day. 
for I pray in Jesus' name.